0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.
1: All right, so important stuff and resources. And I think sometimes in church, you know, we, we start to a little feel fidgety when we talk about money, but, uh, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your mm. heart is. And so just some tools, some opportunities, and uh, we want to partner together in that reality. And so we're sharing together and thinking about this series. And Colt and I are teaching this together because uh, this is a kingdom that is above all kingdoms. And as we talked about this whole setup, we were talking about the reality that what, what, how the kingdom works necessarily for older people... Our people who've been around a while and how it's working for younger people. We're growing up in different worlds, Mm -hmm. uh, but we're all a part of the same kingdom. And so we're talking today about a kingdom of ultimate sensitivity. You want to read uh, the opening for us out of Luke 18?
0: Love to. Uh, Luke 18, 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the little children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we, so we have this whole understanding of the kingdom of God and the childlikeness
1: that goes along with it. And, and I think sometimes when we hear this little... Uh, vignette of Jesus and the children and the interaction, which is recorded not only in Luke but also in Matthew. I think we, we sort of get focused on the, the activity of the disciples and we get focused on the activity of parents. It would be traditional for uh, parents to want to bring their children to a prominent rabbi for a blessing. That would be a common practice in the first century. And, and so, you know, we kind of get caught up in the logistics of the story itself and we forget the words of Jesus. Unless you change, and become like, and, and we miss sort of the resistance of the disciples as if these children are a, a, an intrusion, as, as if they're a distraction to the bigger process of life. And I want us to just think about that because Jesus now looks at those kids and says, unless you all change and become like them, you will never enter in. And I think when we, when we think about that statement, never enter in, we start to think, okay, well, you got to at some point, do a childlike thing, to get your ticket, to get into the kingdom. I think Jesus is much more literally saying, unless you live with the qualities and the sensitivities of a child, you cannot live in the kingdom. You cannot be Hmm. experiencing kingdom life. It's not like a ticket to the amusement park. It's like, how do you live kingdom life and feel kingdom feelings and think kingdom thoughts? And the only way you can do that is if you become childlike. And so I was just reflecting on this thing uh, about my childlike sensitivities and what I remember about being a kid. And this is what I remember about being a kid. I I grew up in a neighborhood. And the unique thing, I think, about growing up in a neighborhood like I did, which many of you did, uh, is uh, you lived in a neighborhood with people like you. You know, your parents made about the same amount of money uh, you had the same kind of bike that your friends had, uh, they didn't have, you know, much nicer things than you had, and you didn't have much nicer things than they had, uh, you all sort of celebrated around the same kind of stuff, you, your families all kind of ate at the same restaurants, there was a real sort of homogenous nature of the neighborhood. And I remember growing up in that and uh, in fact, not only were we homogenous sort of in the things we had, but in the philosophy of raising kids. Hmm. Uh, So if you acted out at your friend's house, those parents had no problem punishing you or calling your parents and saying, hey, you know, this is what we did over here for punishment. You may want to follow up when this kid gets home. Uh, (laughs) I I think I've shared before, you always kind of wanted to be in trouble at your own house because then it was just over. If you got in trouble at somebody else's house, you had to get in trouble there and then you had to get in trouble at home too. Because it was a shared philosophy you know this this is what's okay and this is what's not okay and and we all sort of agree on children and respect and honoring adults and you know there was just sort of a code that everybody lived by and, and so i remember growing up sort of in a sense of just it was just fun it was there was a freedom about being in that space and, uh, and I, I, I was, you know, fairly content in that. And I remember two significant things that happened to me. And so here I am, 50-plus years later, these two things still stand out to me. Still sting. Yeah, they still, yeah. They still traumatize me a little bit. <laughs> so uh, I, had a, I met a friend at school, and his name was Chris Jesperson. And Chris one day said, hey, my parents said it's okay if you want to come over to our house after school and hang out. And uh, and I said, okay, well, I'll ask my parents and we'll see what we figure out. So the day came and after school, I went with Chris and his parents and I went to his house. Well, he didn't live in our neighborhood. He lived in a different neighborhood. He lived in a neighborhood where the houses were a little bit larger. In fact, they were quite a lot larger. And he lived in a neighborhood where the lots were quite a lot bigger. And, and he took me into his backyard and I had never seen anything like it. I, I had never even imagined anything like it. Uh, he had a giant trampoline in his backyard. You know, I, I, I mean...
0: That's a kid's dream,
1: man. I mean, jumping on a trampoline. And, you know, not one of those ones that had nets and padded rails. And It's just a big, giant trampoline made for killing children. It was, it was <laughs> wonderful. It was really a, an amazing thing. Dangerous piece of equipment. And, uh, and not only did he have that, but he had these old growth trees in his backyard. And out of one of those trees, uh, he had this really cool tree house, and then he had this tire swing. Mm. And, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you could develop, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour as you kind of leaped out <laughs> onto that tire swing. And then, something I had never seen before, he had a zip line. And the zip line went from what? his tree house down to a landing pad in the middle of his back. It... He traversed his entire backyard, flying through the air, hanging off this, you know, wheel. Oh, my goodness. It, it was awesome. I mean, you know, uh, things that would be against the law at every level today. <laughs> and I remember going home from that, and I was envious. I mean, I was like, man, I didn't know the world was like this. I didn't know such things existed, you know. Kind of looked at my bike and my backyard, and I was like, man, call this a backyard? <laughs> and then we lived at the corner. This is the second trauma. We lived in the corner of this neighborhood. And we were one of the oldest houses, and behind me were just open fields. Uh, just open fields, and if you cut across the fields, you ended up at the lake and the park, and you could go down and go fishing, and I rode my bike through those fields over and over and over. And then one day, they started building new houses in that area. They laid out a whole neighborhood behind us, and, uh, and the house right behind us was this weird-looking modern thing. Hmm. You know, uh, all the houses kind of looked alike, but this one looked completely different. And it was weird and watched it being built and it was just odd shaped and odd looking and had a flat roof and it was just a weird looking building and eventually it was finished and people moved in and they had a kid my age and we met and we got to be friends kind of and uh, I remember the first time that I went over to his house and met him he had a big German Shepherd and the Hmm. German Shepherd walked right up to me and bit me in the arm. So, Seriously? I still have a big scar on my arm from oh, being man. a big treasure, but, but we somehow got to be friends. And eventually he invited me to come into his house, this weird house, it was so strange looking. And, uh, and I did, and we got in the house and then I realized immediately why the house was so strange looking. It was because it was built around an indoor swimming pool. The entire house what? was surrounded of this indoor swimming pool. And I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, I didn't even know you could have a swimming pool in your house. And I remember, you know, thinking, Man, my life is really not that good. I mean, this guy's got a <laughs> swimming pool in the middle of his house. And Chris, Chris has a zip line in his backyard and a trampoline. And so here's, here's the point of all of that. You know, when you're a little kid, you have a sensitivity to things that shape you. I mean, 50 plus years later, I can still feel what it felt like mm-hmm. to see that stuff. And to, and to think about it and to be emotionally in that sort of space of uh, how excited and all encompassing. I mean, I could have talked about that zip line for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It was so exciting. And the indoor swimming pool just changed my life. And now I think, what would have to happen to me? Hmm. I mean, what would have to happen to me for me to feel like, wow? I mean, when's the last time you felt wow about anything? Hmm. Well, And I think somehow we've become cynical like that. I I think our culture has created a space where, you know, we we have decided that it is more mature to be cynical. It's more mature to criticize. It's more mature to be negative than it is to feel any kind of wow, Hmm. any kind of openness, any kind of sensitivity, any way in which we might, I don't know, feel like our world is surprising us or creating space or, or valuing, you know, something. Do, do you remember the joy of being a kid and how little it took to make you happy? I mean,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I, I, to, to just know that you were going to be at home and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was going to come on as a special. I mean, you know, it made you giddy inside. It, to, to, you, to know that your mom was going to make hot chocolate after dinner, it was like a big deal it, like filled you with all kinds of Anticipation and joy, and the things that you got to do. And I think as we get older, we lose track. And so Jesus is sitting in that space and he's saying, Listen, unless you change and become like a little child, you can't experience the kingdom of God.
0: Hmm.
1: Unless this sensitivity of childlikeness can kind of get in your head into a place where you traffic deeply in your own emotions and your own feelings and your own sense of worth and value and, and joy and celebration and wonder. Unless you get into that space, then the kingdom of God sort of is a philosophy or it's a mental exercise. But you're not really living in the kingdom. You're living in this world, but you're thinking about the kingdom or you're believing in the kingdom. But that was never what Jesus had in mind. He had in mind that we entered into this kingdom, that we lived in it, that we got immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And So when you think about that, and you think about how it's going, the philosophers of the ages have tried to help us stay on track. Listen to this. Uh, growing up is not the problem. Forgetting is. And I think you and I know that. We, we kind of have a philosophy about, you know, it's hard. Adulting is hard. Things get complicated when you get past 18 You know, we have this idea that growing up is going to, life's just going to get difficult and hard, and the growing up's not the problem. Forgetting is. Forgetting what it is to enjoy, to be a person that is full of wonder and full of sensitivity. What parts of you have become calloused? If you think about your journey, what have you forgotten in the name of growing up? And becoming mature? What have you left behind that you would love to embrace again? I love this quote from Winnie the Pooh Life is a journey to be experienced, not a problem to be solved. I wonder how many of us really have bought into the opposite philosophy that our world is full of troubleshooting. We wake up in the morning in emotional debt, and all we can think about is the things that we must resolve in order to get through the day or get to the next thing. And we forget that we only have this day one time. We only have this journey, this moment, this time together one time. And so instead of making the journey, we are problem solving. Fred Rogers once said, Play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning. But for children, play is serious learning. Play is really the work of childhood. And I wonder how many of us would say, I don't really play anymore. I don't play at anything. Hmm. I don't, I don't, not only do I not play, but I'm not learning. I really stopped learning at some point. Now I'm navigating. Now I'm working on the problems. And it seems to me that if we're going to take seriously this invitation to experience the kingdom of God, there's a childlikeness that has to happen to us. Albert Einstein said these words, there are two ways to live your life one as though nothing is a miracle, and the other as though everything is a miracle. Hmm. Which one are you doing? Which side of life are you on as if nothing is a miracle? I I think sometimes because of our rational scientific world, we start to think of the, the universe as this physical machine that just churns out human beings. And we keep waiting to experience the miraculous instead of understanding that we are the miraculous, mm. that life is miraculous, that, that the harmony of the planets and the stars and the rhythm of the sun rising and setting, we have lost the wonder of our world. And in it, we've lost our ability to imagine, our ability to be anything more than mechanical, logistical beings who are just working out problems. Mm. There's so much more. The invitation to the kingdom is to is to get a part of something bigger and deeper to be a part of deep time and a big story it's good and man. i think it matters so when you think about that here's a great quote be like a child clear loving spontaneous infinitely flexible and ready each moment to wonder and accept a miracle mother mira is a quote from her and I think this is really important. It's not just that we don't necessarily put ourselves in that mental space of sensitivity to a child, it's that we fill our brains up with other things. In fact, even as we talk about this, I'm guessing that uh, probably different for the folks you minister to week after week than it is for uh, older folks, but only because we fill our brains with different stuff. Sure. The stresses of a high school kid or a junior high kid versus the stress of an adult, uh, you know, a parent, a grandparent but we fill our brains up with something. We are displacing the good things in our hearts and minds and spirits in order to embrace things that aren't really very healthy for us. The great children's author Marianne Williamson writes these words, children are happy because they don't have a file in their minds called all the things that could go wrong. And I wonder how many of us, that that is sort of what we talk about. When we talk about this, we're not talking about some whimsical idea. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, here's the core of the kingdom. Here's the heart and soul of it. Unless you change and become like little children, you cannot experience the peace, the joy, the rest, the grace of what it means to be in the kingdom. Phil Steer, in his book as a child, writes these words, God sent little children to speak and act for him. In their simplicity and naivete, they say and do things that we adults never would, but which can reveal deep truths about the way the world should be if we only would have ears to hear and eyes to see. God sent children to speak into our world and into our hmm. lives. So from the passage that uh, Colton read, read it one more time, Colton, and then we'll talk about some
0: points here. Absolutely. Luke eighteen fifteen through 17, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it.
1: Yeah, powerful. That's good. So, so point number one, children have a sensitivity to mm-hmm. receive. And so uh, when you stop and you think about that, um, there's something going on in how Luke is writing this chapter. It's not just this standalone little vignette. It's placed in a context that matters. And so it's contrasted with this idea of how the children receive the kingdom. So get this image. The children receive the kingdom. They're anxiously moving forward. They're, 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 They're moving towards Jesus. They want him to be present. That's contrasted in verses 11 and 12 with the attitude of the Pharisees, how they receive the kingdom which they don't and then it's also (laughs) contrasted in later in verses 22 and 23 with the rich young ruler so you have these reception moments and stuck in the middle is this story of the children and then sort of an interplay with it is finally we get the interplay of the tax collector who excitedly is receiving the kingdom and so you kind of get this interplay going on and, and it's a fantastic play on how the kingdom is received we're not invited to be naive or simple we're invited to be humble And accepting and we're invited to receive as from a loving parent so I don't know thoughts that you have about that
0: when I think of receiving you know I think of kind of sometimes pastors will give benedictions They'll send the church at the end of the sermon and they kind of this is maybe more traditional and we don't do it as much here but but the pastor as he's given the benediction will kind of raise his hand you know sending you a blessing go into the world and when the congregants are there, they're kind of supposed to just have their hands open like this as to receive it. And when I think of this image as, as children like this, they take on the world with open hands. Yeah. You know, this receiving, I wanna learn, as we talked about learning through play, all these things, this, this attitude of my heart is open, my hands are open. And as we get older, we lose that, right? We live so many times with our hands closed and our hearts closed and just hundred miles an hour. And we miss the chance to receive like a child, yeah. you know?
1: Well, how many things do we miss? Well, you know, one of the things is, you know, uh, our grandkids are uh, with us, you know, living in our house now for a few weeks, and uh, one of the things I noticed about them is you, you can't go anywhere without them seeing things, and you're like, why are you messing with that? Why are you hmm. looking at that? Why are you touching that? Why did you pick that up? You know, that is their story. They, they just soak it. They observe everything that's going on, you know, yeah. and we parents… You know, in grandparents we don't see much of anything. Right. We we see okay, I gotta get to my car, I gotta get over there, I gotta drive that, I gotta do that, I gotta fix that, I gotta I gotta deliver that, I gotta make that. Uh, and I think in that process we we stop receiving. You know. We we our worlds become incredibly small. And so I think this whole idea of Jesus is saying, Man, here's the kids and they're wide open to the kingdom. They're not debating theology, they're not talking philosophy. You know, they're not thinking about the managing their money or their wealth. They're, they're just embracing and saying, you know, Jesus loves me, and I'm happy about that, and I want to spend some time there. So I think that's openness. Uh, number two, uh, there's a sensitivity to wonder. A sensitivity to wonder. I think faith and wonder are they're really tied up together. And I think one of the things that most of us remember from childhood is our ability to wonder our ability to imagine, Mm. our ability to think things. Lord Tennyson uh, records that he, uh, you know, that he had walked into his grandson's room, and and this is the quote that he writes. He found the child worshiping the sunbeam playing on the bedpost. And I think, I remember doing that as a kid. I remember sitting in my room, you know, the sun beaming through the window, watching the little things float around. How much do we lose that? Do we forget to wonder at all. And, and more than that, the world is not something to be wondered at, it's it's a burden that we bear. Hmm. Life's a burden that we bear. You know, and I think kids now, they start that much earlier. Yeah. I think it's much harder to be a kid, you know, much past elementary school, there's a lot of social pressure for a junior high kid and a high school kid and a college kid that, that I don't think we experience necessarily.
0: Yeah, Dave, I think that's spot on. It's it's. You know, when I was younger, I remember dreaming about like going to the NFL and, and like getting drafted and, and playing in the league and stuff. And then reality sets in, right? And 5'7", can't run under a 4'5", it's, it's just not in the cards, you know? But the, the, the reality sets in, real world comes to us, but then we swing to the other side of stopping to dream, Right. Yeah. We quit having this wander about life and this beautiful of what could be, right? Yeah. And that's starting younger, I think, you know, and it's kind of the culture. It's like, well, don't, don't have those dreams, yeah. you know, that's never going to happen.
1: Well, and the fact that we feel like that's a sign of maturity, right. you know, yeah, we, we, we qualitatively think that to not dream or have big ideas or have your imagination or want to achieve even beyond your abilities is a bad thing right now we got to pull it in and we got to act better we got to have more reality um, I, I wonder which reality it is that we think we have mm-hmm. to embrace
0: and we have to live in reality right but at the same time we cannot as kingdom people stop dreaming yeah stop hoping stop having this wander for what could be right because that's what the kingdom is about bringing this kingdom to earth you know yeah. so we have to keep dreaming
1: but the reality of the kingdom is it's full of wonder and possibilities and faith and imagination and that it's a part of something that's so much bigger and deeper than we are hmm. that that I think we we tend to get into this finite can I accomplish this in my life in this way and and I think God wants to say man the kingdom is infinite it's eternal it's get in touch with something that's bigger than you are. Keep dreaming. Don't stop. Don't define reality as this. Define reality as the kingdom of God alive on earth. Absolutely. What those possibilities are. That's good. All right. And number three, it's a sensitivity to trust. Uh, I think childlike trust is the ability to rest. You know, Mm. I I think as we grow up, that's the thing we miss. We miss the fact that our parents are going to take care of us and that, you know, I think I think the kingdom of God has a vision, and that vision is that you are, you know, your parents take good care of you, and you grow up well-adjusted. We know not everybody gets that and does, but we all have an image of what it ought to be. We know when it's not going right, you know? And, and then we're, we we, as we grow, we grow not only in maturity but in our faith so that as we leave the oversight and the covering of our parents, we come under the oversight and covering of a Holy Spirit and a hmm. Father who then we can trust. He's going to take care of us. And we trust that and we live in that space. And the, Man, we live in a culture that thinks faith and trust and a loving God is naive. Mm. And I think we, we rob ourselves from our ability to, to rest. Unless you change and become like little children, you can't experience the... Unless you believe that God is for you and not against you, that in all things, He's working for your good. Today, right now, in whatever circumstances you find yourself... God is working for the good. That's a part of childlikeness.
0: Absolutely. And it
1: matters. So what do you observe as far as kids and cynicism and this issue of trust?
0: Yeah. I think young people have trust issues. And I think young people have trust issues with the church. And some of that is for good reason. People have been damaged, you know, over the years in church. and, And I want to challenge our church to not be a place where, you know, damage happens. Yeah. Right. And we're trying to fight against that. And I always tell the youth group kids, it's, it's kind of like, Hey guys, I love you. And our leaders love you. And we, we trust you, you know, and if you need anything, call me. Like I always tell them, if, if you guys are in jail, call me, you know, probably going to tell your parents, but <laughs> you got to call me, you know, yeah. and we try to build up that trust. And man, I just challenge the church to not be a place that's, you know, not trustworthy.
1: Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think it's related to being safe. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we, we always want kids to trust us. We want other people to trust us, but we're not safe. Hmm. You know, I mean, if our words are caustic and, and, and abusive and accusatory and judgmental, and sometimes, you know, church people are the worst about that. Right. Uh, you know, and I think, I think it comes from a weak theology of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You know, we, we believe that our task is to love people, is to love them and the Holy Spirit's task is to change them. Right. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, draws people into space, in which, you know, hey, maybe that's not the lifestyle, maybe that's not where you are, we're moving this way. If we don't believe That the Holy Spirit is alive and active and entering into the conversation and entering into the hearts and the spirits of people. That as we gather this space and we create space to worship and fellowship and study the word and small group life and all of that stuff is designed around this one idea. We're creating healthy, loving relationships where people belong and feel trust so that the Holy Spirit can do the work that the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. can do. And so we're free to love and be worthy of trust and to be safe for people. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think all of us want to be loved and accepted. And safety and love develop this layer of trust. Absolutely. Uh, Number four, there's a sensitivity that Jesus is talking about, a sensitivity to follow. And I think that uh, that's this idea that Jesus just says, follow me. You know, you don't have to be a wizard. You don't have to be, you know, (laughs) defining and discerning all of the complexity of life. I I would bet for a lot of us right now that we still feel like we have to figure it all out, Hmm. even as people of faith, that if I don't understand it all, if I don't get the right answers, if I don't, you know, and yet over and over and over and over, we're told, just follow me. You know, I'm not a God that's trying to kill your fun. I'm not a God that's trying to steal your joy. Uh, I don't know, maybe you experienced this. I I found that as I reasonably tried to do what my parents wanted me to do, life went pretty well. Hmm. But when I became defiant, things did not go as well. And that's translated a lot into adult life. I find that in my relationship with God. When I think God is oppressing me with all kinds of things that I don't want to do, I don't do very well. But when I believe that God loves me and, and has a plan, and is trying to keep me safe and trying to keep me from harm... Uh, I find that I live in a place where I can follow. I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I I know it might not all make sense, but it's not my job to figure it all out. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm just going to put my feet where your feet have been. I'm just going to follow. There's something very, very childlike and redemptive about that idea that I'm just supposed to follow.
0: No, that's good, Dave. I think that's spot on. I think we've done a bad job in the church, you know, giving the imagination of, The kingdom and the church and what it should really look like, right? Because so much of the culture thinks that Christ is this kind of killjoy. Yeah. And it's so far from the truth, you know, and it's the exact opposite. Yeah. A life in Christ brings the fullest, most beautiful life we could ever have. Yeah. And the younger generations hold on to, yeah, it's about rules. It's about, you know, I got to go to church. I got to do this. I got to do, and it's like, no. Yeah.
1: And and here's this, this is incredibly convicting to me, but You know, right now, in our culture, we have sort of this whole progressive, you know, perspective out there about utopian world, socialism, you know, how do we love and care, and and that, you know, uh, that progressive movement has kind of become a religion in our culture. Hmm. Uh, and, And here's the convicting thing. What they're talking about, what they're articulating, what they're envisioning, what they're imagining through some political structure is the kingdom of God. Hmm. A place where everybody is equal and loved and there is no racism and there's no more injustice. You know, it's a kingdom of God, but somehow we've articulated the kingdom of God in such a way that they've said, well, that's not it. It's got to be over here. And Hmm. and we all know this. It's not. You know, human institutions are just full of humans. And as such, they're full of people who are broken. That's true in the church as well. That's why we don't worship humans over here, and sometimes we get guilty of that. Instead, we worship God who leads all of us into this place of the kingdom of God. I think our culture is longing for the kingdom of God and trying to manufacture its qualities and values in other ways when all the time we're going, look at this. Mm -hmm. Here's a whole book about the value that you're talking about in the culture, in the world, but here it is because we're all childlike and we're all following the same father who desires to love all the creation and all the children in the creation. And so I, I think it's one of those places where uh, this really starts to drive home unless you change and become like little children and we need to follow. Yeah. Uh, number five, a sensitivity to forget easily. Do um, you remember that as a kid? You know, you might have really messed up, but that was yesterday and you're moving on. And you're always ready for the next new thing. And for a child, you know, the next new thing is not necessarily a big thing.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, I find this to be true with my grandkids. You know, um, I can buy them something, I can take them somewhere, we can, you know, do some activity. But you know what they really like? Attention. (laughs) That's what they really like. (laughs) It doesn't matter what they're doing if you're doing it with them. Hmm. And, And, you know, as, as, as a grown up, you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to play Legos again. Oh, I, <laughs> you know, we're going to build a train again. And yet, if you stop and you think about it, you think, man, I, I don't think, I don't, th- I, I mean, just imagine, my grandkids are thrilled for me to sit down and give them my attention. Hmm. And I, I just think there's this reality that, um, They don't, they live in moments where they're treasuring this moment. And if something bad happened, you know, they let it go and they move on. They have enough sense, much more than we do, to go, yeah, that was a bad thing and I'm going to leave it behind and move on. As opposed to, I'm going to hold a grudge, I'm going to be mad, I'm going to remember. They live very much in the moment. And I think Jesus has that in mind. Can you forgive easily? Can you forget easily? Can you move on? Can you well, jettison the yeah. things that are dragging you down? Can you be ready for the next new thing? Can you celebrate a moment of someone's presence with you? Can you be in that space? Are you constantly needing you know, something else? Are you constantly, again, churning things over and over in your head so that there is no ability in you to celebrate life in the kingdom?
0: Yeah, I love that, Dave. In baseball, they always talk about how you have to have a short memory. Yeah. And so I'd be playing infield and I'd make an error And they'd always be like, hey, you know, you're good. Short memory because the ball's coming right back to you. Yeah. You know, and that's how life is. And children live like that. Yeah. They just flip the page and they're ready to go. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always, which I always talk about because I love it so much. But he talks about we become um, ticket counters. Yeah. And tickets are these wrongs that people have done to us and we keep track of them. Right. Or even wrongs that we have mistakes we've made to ourselves. Right. And about how people who are becoming kingdom people cannot be ticket counters. Yeah. You know, we have to forgive and forget, you know.
1: Well, and, and if you challenge somebody with that thought, they would say, well, that's just maturity. Mm. I'm just learning. I don't want to, you know, if, if I can't trust somebody or somebody wounds me or, you know, then, then I can't just forget and move on. And I think there is a place that we go and I know how to build boundaries and I know sure, what space yeah. is like. But I think there's also that thing of, I've become suspicious of everyone. Hmm. You know, I'm holding on to things that they were just being human. I mean, maybe they had a bad day, maybe they had a... I I no longer, you know, I'm no longer willing to forget. And then the world becomes a very harsh, cynical, uh, fearful place. I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of relationships. I'm afraid of friendships. Uh, I don't know how to let go of the
0: past. Imagine how better the world would be, Dave, if we did just forget like a child. Just yeah. turn the page. We're good. Yeah. You're forgiven. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. where we're called to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: I, I think that, that that's just this vivid, vivid reality of this invitation of Jesus to be childlike. And so uh, I, I guess just to wrap up and to just kind of think about this, William Barclay, in writing about this passage, he says these words To keep alive the sense of wonder, to live in unquestioning trust, Instinctively to obey, to forgive and to forget—that is the childlike spirit, and that's the passport to the kingdom of God. Hmm. And so, I just want to remind you: we're a part of a kingdom above all kingdoms. Uh, as the band sort of makes its way back up, and we're going to close out the service, I just uh, to just stop and think about this reality. You know, we are invited to this kingdom above all kingdoms. That, in fact you know, we don't have to, we're not helpless. We, we're not living in a space and in a way in which we don't understand or we can't do anything or we can't make a difference. We can be the kingdom of God alive on earth today, right now. That's right. And the invitation is simply this. It is a kingdom of ultimate sensitivity, of childlike sensitivity. So let's just say a prayer as we kind of close out. God, thanks. We long to be childlike. We long for the joy and the peace of it. We long for the reality of it. We long that you would allow us to live in a place of trust, to live in a place where we follow, to live in a place of wonder and faith, to live in a place of openly receiving the grace of the kingdom. So I pray now that you would hear our prayers and our response to you, and you would allow us to be the church you've invited us to be. Invite us, call us to be ready and prepared and sacrificial in what's next. Lead us. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.